Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. The city of St. Louis has hundreds of millions of extra dollars coming its way through coronavirus relief and a settlement in a lawsuit over the departure of the St. Louis Rams. And Ann Schweitzer says some of that money needs to be invested in the city's workforce. The 13th Ward Alderman joins us next on the latest episode of Politically Speaking. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Rachel Lippman, and I am here today with... Anne Schweitzer, Alderwoman of the 13th Ward. Tell us a little bit about the 13th Ward. Where is that in the city? The 13th Ward is in South St. Louis City. There are five neighborhoods in the ward. The biggest two neighborhoods are Holly Hills and Bevo, and then Princeton Heights, Dutchtown, Carondelet, and a little bit of Dutchtown. So those are kind of very different neighborhoods in their characteristics. You know, Holly Hills, big houses, Dutchtown is one of the densest areas of the city. How do you kind of juggle the different needs of that ward? That's a good question. At the end of the day, Everyone wants city services delivered efficiently and equitably. So that is true no matter where you live. And the services that are delivered need to be the same no matter where you live as well. So that is the number one focus that I have. And Anne, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're a first-time guest on the show. You've been on St. Louis on the air before. But what should people know about you other than you are an alder woman? What should people know about me? Uh, Well, I grew up in the city of St. Louis. I have been a big supporter of the growth of the city and the future of the city since I was really little. Politics is in my blood. My grandfather was sheriff of St. Louis for about a decade in the 80s. My dad was a municipal court judge. My mom was circuit clerk. I feel like public service is just in my blood. Uh, Outside of public service, I am uh, a yoga teacher and a cat rescuer and an avid gardener. I love to cook and spend time with family and friends, and I volunteer a lot. That's probably my number one activity outside of working. And if I understand correctly, you are one of the strictest kind of investigators for potential adopters of your foster cats. Tell me a little bit about those requirements you have set out. How did you get that reputation? Oh, I, that's funny. Um, I, I think that it's important to have impeccable vet references and wonderful personal references. I've found that if people don't, you just you don't know them. You know, they're complete strangers who are adopting animals from you. So if you can't trust that they're going to take care of the animal, it's it's very hard to adopt to them. So in order to trust that, I just make sure that I have people following the guidelines that I think are are best to meet. (laughs) And how many cats do you yourself have and how many do you take in and foster? And I think you're also caring for a feral colony in your neighborhood. (laughs) Uh, A rescuer never tells, Rachel. Uh, (laughs) 
Uh, but yeah, we, uh, my partner has cats. I have cats, so we have a few. Um, but uh, I'm always fostering, which adds to the number. But that's that's just about moving cats in and out. I fostered probably, gosh, over. 50, 60 cats at this point in my life. And I participate. Not in, at all one time, to be clear. Not These at have been all one time. <laughs> at all one time. And people always say, you know, how do you how do you foster? How do you give them up? It's like, well, if I didn't give them up, they'd all be in my house, which is not the goal. Um, so, And, I and also, also, I think, illegal in the city to have yes, that many cats. It is. And I am very uh, aware of the city laws. <laughs> as you should <laughs> be as an author woman. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Those, yeah. So I know that in addition to having politics in your blood through your family, that you've worked uh, behind the scenes running campaigns. What led you to go from behind the scenes to being part of the scene and the candidate yourself? I've always wanted to serve the city of St. Louis. And so that really, at the end of the day, is what it comes back to. But working in campaigns, you realize that while you might support the candidate and think that they're great and, of course, want to get them elected, the only person you're ever going to agree with 100% of the time is yourself. And I'm a hard worker. I'm committed to the city. And I thought that I had something to, to give. So that's why I decided to run myself. Obviously, you know a lot about campaigning. But how different is it when you are the candidate versus telling the candidate what to do? It's very different. I've done a bit of speaking for candidates at neighborhood meetings and in interviews, but when you're the person who, whose name's on the ballot, it's just more pressure, and I think you 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 want to do a good job and and be yourself and and have people accept that, uh, and and so I think the pressure is just a little bit different. Did you ever find yourself in disagreement with your campaign manager being like, no, I think this is what I need to do and trying to like manage yourself? Well, I was my campaign manager, so we mostly agreed. (laughs) Well, that's good. That's good. So you were one of the candidates that was pushed along by the Flip the Board initiative. And I'm wondering how it's made a difference at the board. What impact do you think it's had on the body? I think it's pushed the body forward. I there's a group of us that are considered progressives. We consider ourselves that. People call us that. Whether they think that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's that's up to them. Um, but I think that the general goals of having more community involvement and pushing the city to do things differently, the idea of doing things the same just because we've always done them that way is sort of the opposite of what so many of us progressives want. And so I think that is the direction the board's moving. And it sort of has to. That's that's the only option. And where's the biggest example that you've seen, uh, you know, the, the uh, community input and the push for that be part of now sort of, you know, the conversation and the norm at the board? Well, we had a rule change at the beginning of session that made it so Every single bill that comes before the board has the opportunity for a public hearing. It cannot pass out of committee without that option. In so that is sort of an everyday change. The biggest thing that changed with public comment is the redistricting process. It was done differently this time than it's ever been done before. And I think there was just a lot of pressure both internally at the board and externally from the community to to do it that way. And I think that's why it happened. What's been the most surprising alliance or partnership that you have found at the board? 
I think the saying goes, there are no permanent allies, only permanent issues. And I've certainly found that to be true on a board bill by board bill basis. I've tried to build relationships with all of my colleagues and and I feel that I can reach out to anyone to ask them what they're thinking and, and what how they're going to vote and if they have any advice. So I've been really happy to, to, to build those relationships. I don't know that there's any person in particular that I've felt really surprised me individually, but I do think it's it's different for every issue and every board bill. What's been the most surprising or shocking thing to sort of learn about just how the board functions internally, whether it's you know the personalities or the procedure? I think the biggest surprise has been that I've been an alder person for almost a year now, and we've only had one in-person meeting. And I think no one would have thought that that would have continued for so long. So I'm really looking forward to going back in person uh, in the next um, month. What excites you the most about getting to be in the chamber with your colleagues for more than just uh, swearing in? What's going to be the biggest difference in going back into City Hall? I think continuing to get to know the other alder people, it's been harder to build relationships virtually than I imagine it will be in person. So I think that's what I'm looking forward to most. And how has governing, do you think, been impacted by being virtual, seeing people on a screen as opposed to engaging with them directly face to face? I think governing has been affected in the same way that so many things have been with COVID and the and the changes we've all been dealing with. Everyone's more stressed out and worried, and it's just a time where no one knows what's going to happen next. And I think that that shows up in everybody. So it makes sense that it would show up in, in people who are governing as well. Um, but I, I think we can only get better. When you were sworn in and you stepped into that chamber, what went through your mind? It was really a wonderful moment. My dad came with me, and he is someone I look up to a lot. He's spent so much of his life serving the city of St. Louis, and so has so many so many members of my family. So just getting to be there and knowing that I have a short time to serve, however long that is, and that I have to make people around me proud, whether that's my family or the people who voted for me, and, and just making sure that that I do every <laughs> do the job justice, really. So I know you don't have a ton of legislation to your name right now, but one of the big resolutions you did have was the Zooming While Driving legislation. Where did that come from? That came from a desire to make the city roads safer. We saw TrailNet put out a report that showed information about road deaths, pedestrian deaths, the just lack of concern that it seems to be permeate um, in in St. Louis for pedestrians. And I wanted to do something, albeit something I thought was small, to, to make a difference. And was that something that maybe should have been addressed in sort of coming up with the procedures for virtual governing, you know, instead of a year and a half, two years into virtual legislating? Very probably. I would never have expected people to participate in Board of Aldermen meetings uh, in the car. There's so much going on at the, and you're in a committee meeting or at a board meeting. The pages of legislation are numerous. There's millions of dollars on the table. I, I can't imagine how you could possibly make those decisions while also operating a vehicle. Did the tone 
of the debate shock you at all? For those who may not have turned into the committee hearings or the board debate, there were accusations flying from especially members of the Black Caucus that in Black History Month, you were trying to take away the votes of Black aldermen who had been usually the ones, although not always, participating in the debates in their car. Did that change in sort of the debate and the direction the debate took shock you? And what was your reaction when that kind of became the issue? It did surprise me. I thought we were introducing a common sense rule change that made that that anyone could get behind. And so it it did surprise me. uh, You know, that rule would have affected every older person in the committee meetings White aldermen were saying that they'd done it and they shouldn't have and were supportive of the change. I mean, I I, I don't think that it was it certainly was not a racially motivated uh, rule change in any way. Uh, it was just a common sense safety measure. I and and that was all it was supposed to be. Is there something that you could learn from that? One of the comments, especially that I've I've heard, not just in floor debate, but, you know, to me personally, is to the progressive aldermen, progressive caucus, slow down, talk to your elders, learn where they're coming from and listen. Was that a fair criticism? I don't know if it's a fair criticism. I try really hard to reach out to other alder people to hear what they're what they're thinking and we might not always agree. That doesn't mean I didn't hear you. That doesn't mean I'm not listening. Um, and there have been times where I've changed my mind based on something another older person has said or a point they've made. Uh, I I really think this was a common sense safety measure that any adult could get behind. So it was it was a surprising moment for this particular thing to have that much vitriol behind it. Would you feel comfortable sharing the example where an alderman has raised a point and you said, I hadn't considered that. I'm going to think about this issue differently now and maybe even change the way I would have voted. In the infrastructure bill that just came in front of us with the ARPA funds, talking about what we fund and, and how we fund it and where that money goes, I had some issues. Some issues were brought up about funding um, infrastructure improvements that people a lot of people in the community thought was just not appropriate and listening to the community listening to other older people listening just to um to city employees you just have to make up your mind on what you think the right thing to do is and there are always going to be multiple points of view so in that in that time you know i was listening to all the different things that other aldermen were saying and and ended up voting yes on it and we'll be right back after this quick break And we are back on Politically Speaking with Anne Schweitzer. And Alderwoman Schweitzer, there is a lot of money coming into City Hall these days. What should be the priority when it comes to spending all of that funding? The priority should be keeping our promises to the people of St. Louis. And I think the core promise government makes is equitable and efficient delivery of services. So that has to be our focus, whether that's improving infrastructure, whether that's offering more services, different services, meeting the needs that have come up due to the pandemic that that we've all lived through and are still living through. That has to be the focus, is making sure we're delivering services. 
One of the most intriguing pots of money that could be coming to the city is whatever we get from the Rams settlement, because it is absolutely no strings attached. It doesn't have to be spent in any specific way or by any specific time. And there's been some conversation about sort of setting that up as a trust fund for equitable development. Would that be a reasonable use of that funding to you? Or how would you want to see sort of that no strings attached money spent? I think that's a really interesting idea. And I'm sure we'll hear more of them. Coming back to the delivery of services, we need to make sure that the city of St. Louis is competitive for attracting people who want to work for the city of St. Louis. Right now, we have competition not only with the private sector paying more, but also other governments in the region are able to pay more. And so I think staff and improving the salaries for city employees has to be part of it. We cannot use ARPA funds for raises because the money has to be spent by a certain day, whereas the money coming from the RAM settlement, as you said, isn't doesn't have any strings attached to it in that way. So I think that the answer can't be, oh, we can't afford to give raises or we can't afford to meet the salaries of, of other governments. We have so much money coming in that I think if we and people who are much smarter than me figure out the the way the money can be both saved and made sure that we can you know continue these raises into the future but at the end of the day if we can't pay people to work for our city if we don't have the ability to get to attract people to come work for the city we won't be able to deliver services and where is that biggest impact that you're seeing 13th Ward or you're hearing from your uh, colleagues where just having a lack of people is directly impacting city services? There are five people that we need to hire to in refuse in order to resume recycling. I mean, that's five people. It doesn't seem like a lot. It doesn't seem like a huge lift, but it really is. There are jobs where you can have a CDL that pay a lot more than our refuse drivers and We need to be able to attract people to those jobs because we need to be able to deliver that sort of service. Mayor Tashara Jones, when she was campaigning, had often said the city is cheap, it's not poor. Is that kind of a message you agree with? And where do you see that playing out in the city's budget or just kind of how the city works? I I do agree with that. I've been interested to see more hands on how the budget process works and and how we put and how we distribute money. So we have a lot of work to do in order to make sure that we're able to deliver the services that we need to deliver. And I think some of that is how what ser- what we spend money on, how much things cost the city to do, how long it takes the way ward capital works, for example, with each alder person having money to spend on their own ward and how that person spends it. And it's just, there's a lot of systemic issues as well. So it's not necessarily just cash in, cash out. It's how all of those things are delivered as well. Does the city need to fundamentally rethink how it budgets? So for those who may not be familiar, it's The departments tell you what they had last year, they tell you what they want for this year, and then you sort of nibble around the edges and move it instead of starting with, what are your needs? Here is the funding. Should the city fundamentally rethink its budget process? That's a really interesting question. I feel like we could do an entire uh, episode just on, on that question. You know, yeah, I think that there are some things that need to change dramatically 
you can't necessarily find out how much it costs the city to mow a certain amount of grass or how, you know, all of those very granular data pieces aren't necessarily there. And so that information piece is needed in order to make those broad sweeping changes. I do think that Mayor Jones has hired some really wonderful people in leadership positions in in, in the administration of the city. And I think the conversation is just going to keep improving. What do you think is sort of the biggest misunderstanding that city residents have about city government and the way it functions? I think for an alder person, a lot of what people don't know is that alders don't don't oversee any department or any particular uh, employee, really. Everything that the alder person manages to do is through relationships and through basically being a squeaky wheel. So I think that's something that people might not see. Uh, And if their alder person is good, they probably would never have a reason to see because that person's making sure that things get done for them. Uh, So, you know, it's it's tough, I think, for me to answer that question because I am such a nerd about all of this stuff that I'm like, what people don't know? I don't know. Um, So uh, I think that probably is it, though. There is a big debate that occasionally maybe isn't articulated, but I think is kind of fundamentally at the root of some of the discussions at the board. And that is, is a citizen service role versus a legislative role. What do you think should fundamentally be the role of alder person? I think if you asked each alder person that, you would get 28 different answers. And so for me, I cherish the relationships I have with the residents of the 13th Ward. I think that is the most important role that I have as an alder person is to be their liaison, to be their advocate, to answer their calls, to return their emails. That's absolutely the number one thing for me in what I do and in what I think is most important about the job. I've heard the argument that alder alders should be a legislative role and have very little Im- input on constituent services. Uh, for me, that's not really how I see the job. I think you're the closest to the people and you need to be responsive to them and and everything that they're telling you should be informing the legislation. I, I don't really understand how anyone could do it any differently. And with that in mind, what will be your legislative priorities when you uh, guys come back for the second half of this two years? I've been talking with Director William, uh, Director Williams of the Streets Department about what our codes look like for uh, repaving and potholes and work that's done with utilities and when people are are, are tearing up the streets and, and how that works. Um, I'm really focused on, on that right now. I'm also spending a lot of time diving into uh, the sidewalk issue in the city of St. Louis. Uh, everything that I'm focused on really comes from what people have asked me about and what issues that they have. Um, I also spend a lot of time tracking down absentee property owners and problem landlords. That's one of the things that I spend a lot of time on. Vacant housing is a disease in the city of St. Louis, and it needs a lot of attention. And so what have you been thinking about or ideas have you been pulling from other cities that are addressing the issue well that you think might work in St. Louis to get at the issue of absentee landlords, vacant properties, etc.? 
One of the biggest issues with housing in the in St. Louis is that so much of the rules around it, if you will, are state law issues. So in the city of St. Louis, when a property is three years behind in paying taxes, it can go to a tax sale and that property can be sold to anyone, even the, high, the highest bidder, whoever can show up with the cash at the right amount of time. And there's no way to prevent someone who to buy from buying that property who also has 20 other properties in the city of St. Louis with a bunch of code violations. So one of the things that has been unfortunate is that so much of the work around vacancy is a property by property uh, thing because every property has a different set of facts and different situation. And so mostly I've been just pulling on my roots as a community organizer in affordable housing and spending time with the neighbors around it and tracking down each owner as as best I can and and fixing the situations house by house. Now, I believe from looking at uh, campaign finance records that you do plan to run for what would be the new first ward. Is that correct? It is. What do you think is going to be the biggest change in running for essentially a brand new ward and a bigger ward? I love campaign questions, so this is very fun for me. So I think one of the most interesting things about this race is that there will be a number of people who live in the first ward, what will be the new first ward, who I've already met, already um, have been working for as their older person. But then there's also going to be a lot of new people. So I have in one race, I'm an incumbent and it's a one, one in it's all one race, but in, in the race, part of it, I'm an incumbent running for reelection. And part of it, I will be a person running for the first time and introducing myself. So it makes it a really interesting campaign to, to be involved in. That's just very unique. The first ward, I know, will take in parts of the old 13th. What other areas of the city does it pull in? What would be the new areas of the ward you'd be running in? Yeah, so the what is the 13th ward now is split into three different wards. The parts of the 13th that would stay in the first ward are the uh, Holly Hills and Bevo. The entirety of Holly Hills would be in the in the first ward. It would also take in a lot more of Condolette, the entirety of the patch, and uh, most of Boulevard Heights. It would still have the small sliver of Dutchtown that the 13th Ward currently has, um, but it would lose Princeton Heights. Are you going to miss Princeton Heights? I am going to miss Princeton Heights. I love that area. <laughs> I, it's it's really tough because I, I voted for ward reduction in 2012, I guess it was, and I think it's the right call. I think we're moving in the right direction, but I'm certainly sad to not be running in front of the same same areas again. I know one of the big discussions that will, I think, happen next session because there just isn't time in this current session is how to get the alders the support they're going to need for the bigger wards. What should be done to not only lessen the workload on the aldermanic staff, but also on you guys in terms of juggling a lot of those constituent calls, because you are now going to have twice as many people that you need to serve. I feel very lucky because I love this job more than I've loved any other job in my whole life. So I'm excited to do more work. I think I might be the only one who thinks that, but I'm like, bring it on. Um, So yeah, the it's interesting. We've had a lot of conversations at the board, stem, you know, stemming back three year, uh, three years, I guess now, two two years. Um, I do think that older people need staff members to help them, but I also think that 
the reason this passed is because people wanted government to be more efficient. So I don't think that hiring tons of people into the Board of Aldermen is going to be what people want to see happen. I think that legislative staff would be something that I would certainly really like to have. Uh, My focus is always going to be on constituent services and making sure that the people I serve are are getting those services and that everything I'm doing is focused on making those services better. So that's something that I don't want anyone to take away from me. And, and the board relies on just sort of one legislative writer. You guys do objectively need somebody somewhere. You said it, Rachel. I, I think we do. I think we do need help. Um, right now, we have a system in which so many of the ordinances that get introduced or board bills that get introduced are very piecemeal. They focus on one aspect of a city code as opposed to looking at things holistically. And I think that causes issues in our city when we have these fragmented codes that don't necessarily make sense and aren't necessarily all followed. And so the opportunity to have staff members who can really focus on that, I'm just excited about about the possibilities. Alderman Schweitzer, I do want to take a moment. I know during last Friday's board meeting, a number of members of the board got word that Representative Cora Faith Walker had passed away. Um, Are there any words of remembrance that you want to offer for her? Cora was an incredible friend. Uh, She was there for people, whether they knew it or not. She was always fighting for reproductive justice and for vulnerable people everywhere. And she will be missed so deeply by those of us who knew her and worked with her and fought with her. And just, I'm going to miss her so much. She has been such a bright light. And I think she is probably um, a style icon to many. I will never be able to look as good as Cora looked and kick as much butt as she did while she she did it. And she's just somebody that um, that will miss that will miss deeply. Thank you very much for that, Alderwoman Schweitzer. For all of our stories and our episodes, you can go to stlpr.org. I'm on Twitter. You can follow the adventures of the Board of Aldermen there, at R. Lipman. And where can people find you? Uh, at Schweitzer88 on Twitter. I also have a uh, campaign Facebook, Citizens for Ann Schweitzer. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri system. Until next time, so long.